Hey, we're continuing our series called Awakening. And uh, as we look at this, last week I talked to you about three reasons of why we're doing this. Number one, we want everyone to be awakened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel literally means good news. And the good news is that God has done the work for you. He's done everything you need to have a relationship with him. Many of you think, and and we run into this all the time, it's a very common thought, especially in a performance-based culture, that I've got to do something to get God to love me. And the answer to that is it's false. There's never a way you can be good enough. God demands perfection. And, and therefore, he provided everything you need in, a per, in the person and the work of Jesus to have a relationship with him. Do you know that? Have you responded to his love? It's our desire, and I believe this, that God has brought you to this place to become awakened to God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we want people to be aware that they still need the gospel. One of the things in my walk with Jesus is when I've had a bad week, I've always gone, oh man, why did I do that? I, I just got to make this week better. And if I'm better this week, then God will look at last week and go, okay, now you're back in and now I'm happy with you. It's easy to act like that with God because again, we live in a performance, conditional love-based uh, culture, but God's love is not like that. Did you realize there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you've done to make God love you less? His love is unconditional. And so we need to live in that awareness. We still need the gospel every day. It's good news. We don't check the box and wait for, wait for heaven. We live in that reality that I still need Jesus. I need him every hour, every day, as we just sang in that, in that uh, song. And then we want everyone to become available, available for the gospel. That means as we think about what availability is, as I talk to Christians, one of their greatest fears is that they'll have to tell someone about Jesus. And if you just step back from that, I hear the fears and I hear the excuses. Oh, I don't know my Bible as well as I should. Oh, I don't want to be rejected. Oh, I look like a goofball or whatever your fear is. But in reality, it's the greatest gift you've ever received. It's the greatest gift you've ever received. Why wouldn't you want to share the greatest thing ever given to you with someone you love and you care for and people that you meet? That's what we want to talk about because until we view it as a celebration and as a gift, we'll keep it to ourselves. This morning, I want to talk to you about, um, I want to talk to you about the gospel being a declaration, I mean an invitation of love. Last week, we talked about the gospel being a declaration. That is, when we have Jesus, God says these things about us. And here's what God declares about you, just to bring you up to speed. When you know Jesus, your creator says, I'm recreating you. You go right back to your roots of who you are, who your identity is when you meet Jesus. And God says, let me recreate you. He's your king, right? And your king, when you have Jesus, says, you are accepted into my kingdom. You're part of my people. You're my people. I'll be your God. As your father, he declares when you have Jesus, you are my beloved child. As your savior, when you have Jesus, he says, in Christ, I save you and I promise to give you eternal life. As your shepherd, your heavenly father says, through Christ, I found you. Through Christ, I laid down my life for you. And as your judge, I mean, that's where most people are most afraid of God with, is that he's their judge. The same one who pronounces you guilty says, you're pardoned, you're set free, you're forgiven. 
You can only have these things declared by God about you when you have Jesus. But when you have Jesus, all these things are true. It's the truth about who you are in him. And so that's what God declares. Now, when you step back from those declarations, it's easy to go, why? What have I done? Why would God do this? Why would he declare these things as truths about me? Why would he live and lay down his life for me? What have I done to deserve this? And the answer is, you'll never have that answer. You'll never know that answer. Why? Apart from God loves you. I don't know why God loves me, but I know he does. And the gospel is the reality of you responding to that invitation of love. As an invitation of love, this actually meets the greatest meets the greatest longing of the human heart to be loved and to love. Because you are loved by the God who formed you and fashioned you and had you on his mind even before time began. You're loved by him. And you're, you're accepted and you're, you're known and you, you can be open with this God. Not afraid, not hiding, but you can be open. Words like vulnerability with God come out when you know, when you really know, and you accept God's love for you. But it's not just you receiving love, it's you giving love because all of love is sourced and sustained by God. You can love others. You can give up yourself to love the people God has in your life. To show you this and to demonstrate the love of God, I want us to look at perhaps one of the most well-known and most common verses in the Bible. It's John 3.16. I know if you've grown up in the church, you're going, yep, got that one done. Got a piece of candy for it when I was five years old. (laughs) I've actually printed it out for you on a little business card. And it's my hope that we would slow down this week and reconsider John 3.16. It's so familiar that many of us just skim over it. And I want us to slow down because this demonstrates God's love for us. And I want you to memorize it. I put it printed it in a business card. You can take it, put it on the dashboard of your car, put it on your mirror in the morning if you're getting ready. Any place you're going to see this. I put it on the dashboard of my car because I read it about 12 times this week when I was driving to and from. And I just kind of slowed down and ordered my life around this verse. I don't know what you've heard about this verse, but when I was growing up in the 70s, can I get an amen? Okay, this was my picture of John 3.16. Remember this dude? He'd go to all those major sporting events and he'd show up and the field goal was kicked and then the camera would kind of pan down and there's this freak with the rainbow fro going woohoo with John 3.16. They actually arrested him 16 years ago in a hotel room with guns and ammunition. He was going to go, I think that's not the picture of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he killed a whole bunch of people. You know, you don't want that with John 3.16. Maybe here's more of a current picture of John 3.16. Tebow, okay, he kind of does this kind of stuff. But but here's the reality about that. In, in the championship game where he wore that, 92 million people Googled, what is John 3.16? They didn't know. So we live in a world that needs a picture of God's love. And this verse just summarizes it. What I'd like to do right now is I'd like to read it with you. I know when you read it with someone, you kind of have to follow your meter. So I'm going to set the meter. If you can match your voice to mine, we can say this together. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish 
but have eternal life. I know some of you said everlasting life because you are King James until you die. <laughs> You're welcome here. Took me a while to, to get this, this one on the ESV, but it's good to say it with you. I want to kind of pick this apart. I kind of want to dissect this verse because I think it is rich with truth for us who question God's love, who struggle with loving, and, and I think it's something just to bring us back to, to true north. Number one, God's love is unlimited. Look at how that verse starts out. For God so loved the world. You know, it's easy when you think about people you want to hang out with, people you want to love, to love just the people who look like you, who act like you, who think like you, who believe like you, who vote like you. I mean, welcome to the election, people. It's divided our country, and and we just go, if you believe like me, if you see things the way I see, if you share my philosophies, then we can be friends, and God's love will not limit love like that. He will not limit relationships. His arms stretch around the world. It moves way beyond the 5% of the world's population known as the United States of America and reaches the other 95% of this world with the love. He so loved the world. So if you are with God, he's going to show you that his love for you is unlimited and his love for others is unlimited. I don't know about you, but we need this vision for love because we have boxed love into people who are just like us. And that's not healthy. You were created to love far deeper and greater with more people than we currently love. God's love is unlimited. And that means when you're walking with God, he's going to source, he's going to sustain your life with love. If you're always wondering, how do I love more? Ask God, God, give me more love. I need more love. Sometimes it's, God, give me more love for my wife. Okay, we have a day like that. And guess what? God always gives more of us, more of what we ask. Secondly, God's love is sacrificial. God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is always a part of love. Proof text. A baby is born into your family. You can't go, wow, I, I'm thinking, I hope this kid goes to bed at 8, nah, let's go 7.30, and wakes up at 9. And just, I mean, the rest of the day, I, I can be dependable, but I need my sleep. No way. I mean, it's like, whoa, you're only as old as your youngest child. When they're up at 3 in the morning, you're up at 3 in the morning. Because when you love them, it's going to require you to give. It's going to be sacrificial. Love, true love, always sacrifices. Maybe if you're in a relationship right now and you're feeling like, wow, I'm, I'm, I am bumming out here. I don't know if I do love that person anymore. Maybe you entered that relationship for what you could get from that person or how that person makes you feel rather than you showing up to give. That's God's love for you. He showed up to give, not showing up to get. Jesus came and he sacrificed his life for you. Because God's love is sacrificial. It's also personal. God just didn't give anyone. He gave his only son. And that was significant. That shows you the depth of the sacrifice, but it also shows you the personal cost. When you love, you don't love with other people's resources. You love with your own personal resources. And God loved you so much, he sent his only son. He was personal with his son and he's personal with you. It requires us to respond to the love personally given to us. God's love is also unconditional. It says that whoever believes in him, 
That's the invitation of God's love. It's to whoever. Now, if again, you're into loving just people who are like you, who agree with you, who act like you, your love is not going to be condition. Your love's not going to be unconditional. It's going to be conditional. It's going to be, you do these things for me. You're kind to me. You're sensitive to me at night. You do all these kinds of things and then I'll love you. I won't withhold love. I no unconditional love says whoever. Whoever believes, that's the open invitation of God through Jesus. Whoever. That's a broad term, right? But it's an unconditional love. It doesn't require us measuring up. It doesn't require someone becoming a citizen. It doesn't require people acting good, going to church. It requires, it's just an unconditional whoever. I am so glad that God is a whoever believes kind of God. Because I am part of the whoever, and so are you. And we have an access, we have an invitation to God by faith, by believing in Jesus. Whoever believes will what? It it says, will not perish. That's the first thing. God's love is undeserved. Because if we got what we deserved from God, (laughs) he could cough and we'd just go poof. That could happen. But because of his undeserved love, and that's what grace is. Grace is God's undeserved love, and it moves us from hell to heaven. It moves us from life without God to life in with God as his beloved children. But it's not deserved. None of us are here. Church, you really need to hear this. None of us are here because we deserve to be here. None of us are here because we lived a life this week that made us worthy of walking in those doors. We're all here because we need Jesus. We're a church that is dependent on Jesus. And if we don't have Jesus, we quit meeting. We quit meeting. Jesus is our only hope. It's undeserved, but all of us can have it. And that's the joy of God's unlimited, undeserved, unconditional love. And then it's eternal. Because we will not perish, but look at that, but we will have eternal life. Now we talked about eternal life, but this is the destination of God's unlimited, sacrificial, personal, unconditional, and undeserved love. It's eternity. Words to describe eternity are like unending and forever and ever. Amen. To quote the theologian Randy Travis. And then in my Presbyterian church, which I moved here from, we used to say the Apostles Creed and then the organ would crank up and steam would come out of the organ. And then they would go world without end. Amen. And then the organist would just pull out all the stops and goes, because that final amen, she just loved the power that gave her. But what she was saying, and the Presbyterians got it right, it will be world without end. Amen. Amen. It was kind of that picture because that's the heart of God is because he loves you. He wants you to be with him forever. Not just for this life. And did you realize you will have uh, the greatest amount of your existence will happen either without God or with him. Jesus came so that you could be with God for eternity. This world is just poof. You're here for a while and then you're gone. But eternity is, as I said last week, it's really deep. Here it is. A very long, long time. 
Yeah, that's what God has done. It's eternal. I love how John uh, saw that vision of the future in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19. And I'll just read it for you. This is the picture. And by the way, in Revelation chapter 19, 20, and 21, Jesus wins. It's the picture of the future. Jesus wins. And when we're with Jesus, we win too, okay? He's the win. He's the winner. He's the champion. He's the one triumphant over death and over sin. And with him, we, we get to celebrate that with him. Well, there's this great supper, this great banquet that everyone who believes in Jesus is welcome to. And it's something that's going to happen in the future. Listen to how the Bible describes it. John writes, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with the linen and bright and pure. And then verse nine says, and the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So just let me interpret this. The angel is there saying, write this one down. Don't miss this. Write this down. Blessed are those who are invited in to this celebration of God's love when Christ and the church will marry for eternity and we will be with God. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain, just fulfilled satisfaction in the person of Jesus for eternity. God calls us into that banquet. God's invitation of love requires a response. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 16. And as you're turning there, let me bring you up to speed to what Jesus was doing at this time in his ministry. Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's home. And a Pharisee was a religious ruler uh, of the Jews who um, was really steeped in the law and really believed, he really believed that, that God accepted those who were righteous people, who did righteous things and didn't mess up. So their lives were, were not based around love. They were based around performance, doing the right things and not messing up. I've been there. Have you? That's a miserable existence. Because on a good day, you look at other people and go, <laughs> I'm not as bad as that. And on a bad day, you go, how can God ever love me? That is not, that's why Jesus came, to fulfill the law, to complete it with love. And you know, I think about this, and when Jesus came, when Jesus came into this banquet, he was invited to this banquet by this Pharisee on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, they had all these rules and regulations. You can't do this. You shouldn't do that on the Sabbath. You can't work this hard. You gotta count your steps. All this kind of stuff. And, and something happened at this banquet that radically changed things. This guy who was, um, who had a sickness called dropsy, which swelled up his legs so that he could barely walk appeared right before Jesus. He probably wasn't invited to this banquet. And so he appears before Jesus and Jesus pauses and goes to the Pharisees, looks at him and says, hey, um, is it lawful for me to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Because you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. What a dilemma, right? No one said a word. 
The self-righteous, arrogant people, they never say a word when they're in a dilemma. If they do one thing, because they're concerned about what other people will think. Hi, I'm Joe. I've been there. And I need Jesus. And so, so they kept doing that. And Jesus healed him. And they don't say a word. Then Jesus looks around at this banquet. And he looks where people are seated. And he, he sees that there are people who are important. They're wealthy. They're related to the guy who's, who threw the party. And he said this. Hey, when you throw a party, when you throw a banquet, don't invite your brother or your relatives or the wealthy people who will invite you to their parties because that's how conditional love works. You invite me to my party, I'll invite you to your party. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. Jesus says, no, here's what you do. Go out and, and remember this because come, we'll come back to it. Go out and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. People who cannot pay you back. Invite them. People you'd never, if it's all about you, you'd never invite to your party. Invite them. Because that's the kingdom of heaven. And that's going to be when you'll be rewarded, not here on earth. You'll be rewarded in heaven when we have that banquet with God. And one guy in this awkward moment, because the whole party got awkward at that time. Jesus will do that. If it's all about us, your life is going to be awkward with Jesus. But he pointed it out and he said, uh, that's, that's what it's going to be like. He who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted by God. That's heaven's economy. It's based on love, not performance, not accomplishment. And one guy goes, well, that'll be a great day. Basically, that's my interpretation. And Jesus said, let me tell you about that day. And let's read in Luke chapter 14, 14, beginning with verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. See, please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And and another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in, remember Jesus saying these words, the poor, the cripple, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, sir, we just did that. What you commanded has been done. There's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. Come in because because I tell you that, that my house might be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were initially invited shall taste my banquet. What's your picture of God's banquet? Is it this? That's a huge royal banquet in England. I would never want to go to a banquet like that. So if you're throwing one, leave my name off the list. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be the day, right? So, you know, I, I'd be afraid I'd be spilling something on my white tux or something like that, or I'd say the wrong word. It's prim and proper. And many of you think that God's banquet looks like this, but I think, I think God's banquet looks like this. Whoop, not that one, that. 
Your family's there. This is stock photo, so don't look for a staff member in it. Um, this is this is a family. This is where you're known, where you're loved, where you get with people you who who've been important and valuable in your life, who've had a history with you, who know you and love you, and your home. If you're in college and you're living in a dorm, it's your table, home. I longed for that when I was in college. But this is the banquet that God calls you to. And Jesus was telling this story to give a greater picture, a greater picture of God's invitation of love through the gospel to us. He said, I came and uh, I invited people to my, to my party, to my banquet. But those people had excuses. Excuse one was, I bought some land and I've got to go see it. I bought some oxen was the second person and, and I must go out and, and I got to check and see how they work. How do the oxen work together? And then another one said, well, I just got married and you know what that means. So I won't be at the banquet. Now, just so you, just so you realize what typically happened in the Middle Eastern invite was this. Uh, when someone was throwing a banquet, they would most likely say, save the date. It's like if you're getting married, you'd write the save the date. But then they would tell you with a second invitation up closer to the event, this is when it is, this is what to wear, and this is what to expect. It's that first invitation that he said, save the date, that he thought they would save the date. I thought it would be a priority This was a wealthy person. He had a lot. And his banquets were known to be great. But when the day came for them to be invited personally and pointedly to the actual time when they commit to coming, they had these three excuses. You think about those three excuses. A field. Those are things like property, our home, our income, our future our inheritance, our wealth. We don't struggle with any of those things, but they did back then. And Jesus called it. And he said, when you've been invited to my love, there might be some things that get in the way. Your career path, your view of success, how much you own, how much you make, where do you live? What's your family background? What How much wealth do you have? That just might get in the way of my love. And then there were a second group. Now, we don't have, well, some of us, most of us don't have oxen here in Topeka. But it it represents the things we own. And here's what I've learned. We've never lived in a time where we've had more, ever. And yet felt like we've had so little used to be you could talk to someone and they go, well, I know things aren't, you know, excellent with your finances, but what would really help out? And they would go, well, I need about 10 grand a year. 10 grand would make the world of difference. We could do that vacation. Everything would be great in my family. You know, as you talk to someone now, I need 100 grand. Will you make 40? Yeah, that's what I'd really like. Yeah, we, things, things have an allurement to us. I mean, our heart rate go up when they say iPhone 7. You know, seven or seven plus speed. I mean, our heart rates go up and we flock to those places because we like to have things and we find our identity sometime in things. But those who have things kind of realize this truth. You can own things, but ultimately things own you. 
When you have so many things, things are going to break. Your time, your energy, your, your distractions just Im, you know, increase with the more you have. And that might distract you from God's invitation of love. And then there's relationships. I think this is another, it's a really good thing to have relationships. And I, I, God's made us for relationships. So I'm never against relationships. I'm not against marriage. I'm not against the family. I love those things. I'm, I get to be a part of both of those things. And I'm honored. But those good things can easily become God things. There's a fine line sometimes with me being enthusiastic about what's happening with my kids. And then me living my life through my kids. And I need to stop back and pull back. And I can chase kids and I can be real involved in their success. And I can take identity and I can have a bad day when they don't perform the way I want them to perform. But really, really, that's the, they can get in the way of the invitation to be loved by God. Good things that turn into God things. Let's understand this. Who's throwing the party? Jesus is. Who's made everything ready for that party? Jesus has. Who are we? We're the servants. We go out and invite people to this party. This party where he calls us to his banquet table. And at the end of the night, you go, love. His banner over you is love. That's the heart of God. He wants you in his house. And we can go out and ask people, and some people, people he didn't originally invite because he came, as John says, to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, they can be called the children of God. That's the heart of your heavenly father. He wants more in his home, not limited people in his home. Don't ever limit God. And so he called them to save a place for the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind. And then when there was still room, he said, go out to the highways and the hedges. And that was basically go to the ends of the earth and invite anyone that my house might be full. That's a call God gives us. Make this an invitation about love. Bring my family in. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be about love. It's going to be everything I've done for them. They're going to celebrate that. So we're called, we're called to be at the banquet. I believe God has brought everyone in this room, uh, just as we move on, to listen to and to receive God's invitation of love. I want to share with you a story, and her name is Cheryl Moss. She's relatively new here to fellowship, but by her own admission, before Jesus, she was an angry, bitter, resentful woman who felt beyond repair and beyond the love of God. She never felt worthy. Have you been there? Are you there? Well, Cheryl was there. And she, through a friend, was invited here to fellowship where she heard about the gospel. The friend followed up with her. She trusted Christ. And her life is beginning again with Jesus. It all was around accepting what God has done through her, or for her through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. She accepted that invitation. I want you to see her story because she's not like, last week we had kind of a more outgoing T.J. Scott. He's very outgoing. She's more of a quiet woman. And I love that. She represents half of us, by the way. 
and, and uh, can really show you the other side of the gospel of love in her life. Listen to her story. I would run from one thing to the next, trying to find something that would make me feel better about myself. It didn't ever happen. It didn't happen. I would be frantic if I couldn't control everything. Chaotic. Didn't trust anybody. Have no close friends. I've made many bad choices. When I grew up, I had a fear of of God, you know, I thought he was this guy that, you know, if you had done things bad, then, you know, yeah, you, you were in trouble. But I thought, you know, the stuff that you have done, he could, oh no, he's not, you know, and you haven't done this and you haven't done that. And I used to think that you had to do certain things in order for him to really even like you. There was no redeeming factor, you know, I thought you were either good or you're bad. And that's what I believed. I just didn't realize what it was all about. When I told this particular person that I was looking for a church and that I wanted to know Jesus, and they told me about this church, I came that Sunday. It was just different that day. And I listened to the message. It was like they were just speaking right to me. It moved me in a way that I was almost in tears before I left because I thought, can it really be this wonderful? Is this really happening to me? That I could feel his spirit move me um, in a way that I've never ever felt before. I have to think that God was working in my life right then and there. And that was what started my journey. It's hard for me to wrap my hands around that my life could just be different like this by just believing. He died on the cross to save me. And he takes me from a point of guilt and shame, and he makes me smile. And I'm not one to smile much. I have a different attitude at work. There's a bad situation, I pray about it, and that's a whole totally new thing. He's a pretty negative person, and I find myself being positive. I find it harder to be negative than I used to be. I'm just a different person. It's obviously nothing that I did, but it's, it's in my heart and it's, I think about him and I include him in decisions I make and I trust and I, that's just totally out of character for me. I relate to him as the father that I didn't have that loves me and that's that's really powerful me you're never too old or you're never too young that Jesus loves us all and uh, whether we believe that or not when we first come to him he works he's patient he works with us it's so exciting For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You're now the fourth service who saw that and heard this invitation of love. And I don't want you to leave here without responding to this invitation. 
In all of our other services, we had people who raised their hand and said, I didn't get it before, but I get it now. It's not about what I'm doing. It's about what God has done because he loves me. And I receive what he's done rather than trying to impress him to make him accept me. I receive his love into my life. I want you to do that. If you came in here realizing or thinking that it was all about what you're doing, it's all about who you're trying to be, would you just pause for a moment, clear that excuse away, and just say, Jesus loves me. And he did everything I need. He's prepared a place for me. He's prepared all the work. Everything's done. It's me just saying yes to his invitation. I want you to clear away any excuse that you might have, anything that's distracted you up to this point in your life, to clearly focus on the invitation that's been offered to you through Christ. Accept that invitation. I receive it. Simply say to God right now, if God's been working on your heart through this, God, I get it. I believe you. I believe that Jesus who he is, is who he said he is and did what he said he'd do. And I receive that into my life. It's not about what I've done. It's all about what Jesus has done. I receive your love. And if that's your heart, if you just said that to Jesus, how blessed it is to be a part of the banquet. Right now, your life isn't about trying to impress God because remember, there's nothing you have done that would make him love you less and there's nothing you could do to make him love you more. It's still about grace. It's still about his love. He loves you because you're his. Live in that love. Enjoy your God. Would you just bow your heads as we close our time in prayer? With no one looking around, I just want to ask you a question because I want to pray for anyone who responded to God's invitation for love. If you are someone this morning who just said that to God, who just received his love into your life, would you just raise your hand just so I can pray for you? Just put it up so I can see you real quick. Thank you, many of you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for each of these people who've responded to your love today, who said yes to Jesus and no to themselves, who, who received your invitation and are now part of your family. Thank you so much for entrusting them, bringing them to this place. And Lord, for all of us, Lord, I pray that we would be people who would celebrate your love with, in our lives, that we would be people who would be open to you and loving of everyone you've placed in front of us. May Topeka be different because we choose to love it the way you love us. And may the name of Jesus be glorified. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.